0: Great to see you, Purpose Church, and I hope you're having a wonderful uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Today we're continuing our 2023 series in which we study the 66 books of the Bible in 52 weeks. And so the title of our series uh, has been Jesus on Every Page. We've looked for him in every book of the Bible so far, and we have found him. Uh, Jesus on Every Page. Now the section of the Bible that we're in today is called the Major Prophets of the Old Testament. So Isaiah, Jeremiah with Lamentations that we studied last Sunday, uh, Ezekiel we'll study today, and Daniel next Sunday. And then we'll get into the Minor Prophets after that, and that's going to be a really, really exciting summer. I'm, I'm super excited about that. So we're calling this series, within a series, uh, The Majors uh, for the Major Prophets. And the title for today's study is Ezekiel, Our Shepherd King. Jesus, our shepherd king. Ezekiel, Jesus, our shepherd king. Now let's look at some background for the book of Ezekiel. It takes three hours, 39 minutes to read the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Its content is a series of prophecies announcing the fall of Jerusalem, followed by Israel's eventual restoration. So they're going to fall, but then God's going to bring them back once again to their homeland and they're going to be restored. The prophet's name is Ezekiel. He was an Israelite priest and prophet who was taken to Babylon among the first wave of captives from Judah in 598 BC, and he's a younger contemporary of Jeremiah, so he served roughly during the same time as Jeremiah, uh, but he was younger. Now when you see the word prophet, you usually think of predicting the future, and that was a big part of what they did, and they did it, as we've shared before, with supernatural accuracy. Hundreds and hundreds of prophecies, given hundreds and thousands of years before they happened with great deal of detail, fulfilled with incredible detail. And that validated their message, because when it would come true in their lifetime, of course, people would say, well, then the rest of their message must be true as well. Now, we have seen it occur in history uh, with complete fulfillment, and so it leads us to validate God's Word and to say, if you can trust it in these things that you can test, like these supernatural fulfillment of prophecies, then you can trust it when it tells you how to go to heaven. And, and the way to go to heaven, because it's been validated uh, scientifically, historically, archaeologically, in so many ways. So that was that was a big part of what they did. But their primary role was to make known the word of God, and this often involved calling people back to obedience to God. That was their that was their primary role. Uh, the three main things that they confronted where number one, idolatry, when the Israelites and the people of Judah would worship other gods, bow down to idols and, and worship other gods. Uh, so they confront idolatry, empty rituals. This is interesting. Uh, they they really came down hard on going through the mo- emotions of being religious, but wi- without really having a heart connection with God. And then the third thing they would confront is injustice. Wherever there was injustice in the land of Israel, things that weren't fair, uh, the strong taking advantage of the weak, they were very strong in confronting that as well. Now, the date of Ezekiel's prophetic activity, he uh, started in 593 B.C., uh, as it tells us in Ezekiel 1, verse 2, until 571 B.C., which he talks about in Ezekiel 29, verse 17. So, the final destruction of Jerusalem took place in 586 B.C. So that means that Ezekiel preached uh, from seven years before the destruction. So, for the last seven years, uh, one more chance for... Uh, Israel to repent before God's judgment came. So seven years before the destruction until 15 years after its destruction. So that was the 22-year period in which Ezekiel ministered and which he preached. Now the emphasis of the book is the inevitability of the fall of Jerusalem because of her sins, (coughs) especially idolatry. The transcendent sovereignty of God as Lord of all the nations in all history the loss and restoration of the land, that is they're gonna lose the land of Israel, but then they're gonna get it restored once again, and of God's presence among the people of God. The promise of the life-giving Spirit, Holy Spirit, as the key to covenant faithfulness and, and the prophecies of that to come with the coming of the Messiah. Now, where do we find Jesus in the book of Ezekiel? There were five things that a Middle Eastern shepherd uh, during biblical times was supposed to do. Number one, watch for enemies trying to attack the sheep. Number two was to defend the sheep from those attackers. Number three, to heal the wounded and sick sheep. Number four, to find and save lost or trapped sheep. And then number five, this is interesting, to love the sheep, to to love them, uh, sharing their lives, and so as a result of that, earning the trust of of the sheep. Um, So a more recent example uh, of of shepherding, or something that was called shepherding, was in World War II to the present time. A, quote, shepherd was a pilot during World War II, and leading up to the current times as well, uh, a shepherd was a pilot... who guided another pilot whose plane was partially disabled back to the base or to the aircraft carrier. So if a plane got disabled in some way, you would have this shepherd, uh, another plane, come next to that plane and fly alongside of him to maintain visual contact until it landed safely at the base or on the aircraft carrier. Uh, There is the role or the office of shepherd or pastor. But many, many people have the spiritual gift of of shepherding or pastoring. There may not be as as many people in the role of pastors, but many, many people, many of you have what we would call the spiritual gift of shepherding or pastoring. So for example, if you are a leader in a life group or student ministries group or or children's group. Uh, maybe you're a crew leader for kids camp. Let me do a little commercial there. We have hundreds of kids coming here uh, next month to our kids camp, and we need crew leaders. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful opportunity. You basically just shepherd a group of about eight or nine children, and and just walk with them, and everybody takes care of everything else. And I've been a crew leader, and I'm going to be a crew leader again this year. And it is a very fulfilling uh, assignment. It's just really a wonderful ministry. And and basically what you are is you are a shepherd uh, during that kid's camp week. Or maybe you're a leader of a ministry team here at church. Or you're a leader at work. Maybe you're a leader of a work team. Or at your school where you go. Uh, wherever you are at any of those situations, <coughs> you are called to shepherd or pastor the people of that group or on that team. You're called to be a shepherd or a pastor to them. Uh, Like the pilots of World War II, uh, you can even shepherd another person one-on-one. It doesn't have to be a group of people. You can shepherd them one-on-one. Much shepherding um, and pastoring goes on -on one-on-one. When Ezekiel talks about shepherds here, however, he is referring to the religious leaders and the political leaders in Israel. That's what, in the Middle East at that time, that was a very common uh, synonym uh, for uh, leaders or people in leadership, political leadership or uh, religious leadership. Uh, they were called shepherds. And the difference between a good leader or a good shepherd and a bad leader or a bad shepherd is in how they view their position. Uh, at work, at school, in an organization that you're a part of, here at church, uh, in, in your family. Uh, the, 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 the difference between a good shepherd, good leader, and a bad shepherd or a bad leader, how do you view your position? A good leader or a good shepherd sees their position as an opportunity to serve others. I am blessed to be a blessing. You, you see whatever position you're in, this is a chance to bless other people, to shepherd other people, to serve other people. A bad leader or a bad shepherd sees their position as an opportunity to be served by others. How can these people, and I'm in this position, how can they meet my goals, my dreams, uh, my purposes? A bad leader or a bad shepherd sees their position as an opportunity to be served by others. Jesus said, "I, Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, Ezekiel calls out these bad shepherds, these, these bad uh, political leaders, these, uh, these bad uh, shepherds. He, he calls them out. So let's pick it up now uh, with, with verse 1. He says, the word of the Lord uh, came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. They see their position as a chance for them to be blessed, for their needs to be met. Should not shepherds care for the flock. Shouldn't shepherds be concerned about how to serve, not to be served? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves (coughs) with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak. This is what a shepherd's supposed to do. Uh, Heal the sick, uh, bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or search for the lost. This is what a good shepherd does. Instead, as a bad shepherd, you have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. And so he is calling out these, these bad uh, shepherds, these these bad leaders, uh, when you hear about or see a friend who has drifted from the faith and you think, you know, someone should reach out to them. It, it, it says here in, in that last verse, he says, and no one searched or looked for them. Now this applies to us spiritually. You hear about a friend or you you see a friend and they've drifted from the faith. And, and and you think, okay, somebody ought to do something about that. Well, most likely that someone is you. The reason that the Holy Spirit brought them to your attention is that he has called you to reach out to them. Uh, when someone in your oikos, your household, uh, Greek word for household, the 8 to 15 and what we call your sphere of influence, the 8 to 15 people that you do life with, you work with, you Uh, in a recreational group together, in your neighborhood, in your family, uh, in in your school, Uh, if someone in that 8 to 15, and and there should be someone in there uh, that is not currently following Christ, you should build your oikos in such a way, build relationships, even if they're not there naturally, so that there are non-followers of Jesus in your oikos. And if that person needs Christ, you're the one called by God to reach that lost sheep. Don't think, you know, somebody ought to reach them for Christ. Uh, let's hope some famous evangelist does it. Let's hope the church does it. Let's, let's hope uh, one of the pastors does it. And yes, we should be doing those things. And yet, if it's come to your attention, if the Holy Spirit's put it on your heart, then you're the one. Uh, that, that's a sheep in your, your flock. Uh, you're the one that should reach out to that person that's drifted or that person that needs to come to Christ. Now, God deals with the bad leaders of Israel, and he says that when the Messiah comes, he is going to replace them with Jesus, who's our shepherd king. Uh, When when the Messiah comes, uh, God's going to get rid of these bad leaders. When Jesus came, it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious leaders, and they're going to be replaced with a good shepherd, and that good shepherd would be Jesus. So let's continue now with verse 7. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. (coughs) This This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'm going to hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer just feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. They're not doing a good job, so I'm going to do it myself. And that's who Jesus is. He's he's the coming God in human form. He's the shepherd king. God would come as one of us and would be our good shepherd. As a shepherd looks after a scattered flock, when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, Jesus wanted to come so that he would have proximity to us, so that the shepherd could shepherd us as one of us, uh, fully God, fully human. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land, So he says to the bad shepherds, because you have done a bad job, I will come and will do it myself. Uh, Bible commentator Ralph Alexander uh, writes, Israel's shepherds had been selfish and sensitive leaders who had plundered the flock for personal gain and had allowed the people to become prey, P-R-E-Y, for other nations. On the basis of this indictment, God promised to remove the leaders from their position so that the flock of Israel might no longer be devoured by these wolves in shepherds' clothes. The Lord would hold each false shepherd accountable for their shepherding. The Lord encouraged them by declaring that he would personally assume the responsibility for shepherding the flock of Israel. Individual needs would finally be met. Those lost would be sought and found. The injured would be healed. The weak would be strengthened. The Lord would care for every need of his flock. And that leads us to uh, the good shepherd. And we need a good shepherd, don't we? Because we are constantly getting ourselves into trouble. I know that I am. We need a good shepherd because I'm always getting myself in trouble and then he gets us out of trouble. He gets you out of trouble. He gets me out of trouble. And we get ourselves right back (laughs) into trouble once again. Let's watch this. Mm -hmm. Uh. (coughs) Uh. 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 And that's why we need a good shepherd. And that's what Jesus says in John uh, chapter 10, verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In contrast to all those bad shepherds Ezekiel was talking about and the bad shepherds in Jesus' time, the good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. The hired hand, and by that he means the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious leaders, who only cared about getting rich and and domineering the people and lording it over them. Uh, The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. This is interesting. Who are they? I must bring them also. Uh, Who are these other sheep that have to be brought in? They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd." I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. Now, what we believe that this uh, primarily means here is this is believers from outside the Jewish people. So he's he's talking to the Jewish people, but he says, I got other sheep, I got Gentiles that are the non-Jewish people. So that would be most of us. He's talking about most of us. When he says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, he's talking about you. And he says, I've got to bring them also, the ones from Future generations from those that are non-Jewish, Gentiles, but also those from future generations would one day join Jesus' sheep pen. Uh, In Jesus' vision for his people, Jewish and Gentile believers from all kinds of diverse cultures, every ethnos, uh, nations, language group from around the world would become one flock with one shepherd. Now this is getting a little bit crazy here. Hang with me, okay? Don't think I've lost my mind. But even if there's life on other planets, you know, don't be disturbed if... I actually don't believe there are. I believe that it's a miracle only by God's hand, a designer behind the design. It's a miracle that we even have life on this planet, and that is because there's a designer behind the design. There's a creator. There's that first cause. God has caused it to happen uh, and so I actually don't believe there's life on other planets. But even if there are, that, that doesn't shake our faith. They will join the sheep pen as well. And some people have said, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. M- maybe they're talking about life on other planets. I remember a short story I read in high school. Uh, and it was, not a, it was a secular book. It wasn't a Christian book. It was a secular uh, book of short stories. And there was an astronaut that was going from planet to planet trying to catch up to Jesus because Jesus was going throughout the universe planet to planet and would teach the people and then die for them on that planet and then move on to the next planet. And each time he'd get closer and closer, he'd miss Jesus by 10 hours, then miss him by five hours, then miss him by an hour because he could never quite catch up to Jesus as Jesus was going from planet to planet. You said, oh, Glenn, that's kind of crazy um, theology and conjecture uh, but uh, let me just share with you a great theologian that uh, mentioned this particular idea his name is Larry Norman this is the first Christian album I ever bought when I was growing up in southern Virginia and I thought that all Californians looked like that I said Larry Norman's from California must be all Californians look like that and so when I was growing up in Virginia I thought that's what every Californian looks like and on this album, he's got a song um, uh, from the, called He's an Unidentified Flying Object. So Larry Norman, here's the song, He's an Unidentified Flying Object. And there's a couple of lines in it. it. says, and if there's life on other planets, then I'm sure that he must know. And he's been there once already and has died to save their souls. I don't believe there is, but if there is, no problem. Jesus will shepherd them as well. And then we are called to be good shepherds. This is, as a follower of the the good shepherd, we are to be good shepherds as well. In Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these were the bad shepherds of Jesus' time, similar to the bad shepherds that Ezekiel prophesied about. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together, and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. We will always have to overcome the inertia in the Christian life of hanging out with the 99 rather than going after the one as individual Christ followers, it's always easier to hang out with the 99. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes we create debates among ourselves as Christians just to occupy our time so that we never get around to the really hard thing, which is going after the one. I I think we invent things to do. It's kinda like uh, me in my office, if I've got something I don't wanna do, uh, let's say I need to get around to cleaning my office well, I, or some big assignment that, that I, I don't want to tackle. It's unpleasant to me. It's difficult. I will always find lesser things to be busy about to keep from doing the things that should be the business uh, that I'm about. And this is true for individual Christ followers. It's true for churches. It's hard to be an outward-focused church. It's, it's easy to hang out with the 99. It is hard to go after the one. But this is what Jesus called on us to do. Uh, Busyness is the enemy of the business. Busyness in the church is the enemy of the business of the church, which is reaching the one. Busyness in the Christian life is the enemy of the business of the follower of Christ, which is reaching the one. I believe that the main thing that has kept our church thriving for the past 153 years is an outward orientation. Constantly, through 153 years, century and a half, saying we've got to think about the one and not just do the comfortable thing, which is hang out with the 99. The main thing is keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus and reaching the lost for Jesus. That's why our purpose statement as a church is everyone everywhere following Jesus. Uh, We also, one of our key values is found people, uh, find people. You know, this Memorial Day weekend, we honor and remember those that have given them their lives for our liberty and for our freedom. But you know, another thing I like to do is to to also um, remember those that have sacrificed for our spiritual freedom. Think back to that godly grandmother, which is the reason you're following Jesus today, or that godly parent. Think back to that Sunday school teacher, or that youth group leader in student ministries that is the reason you're following Jesus today and, and, and think back and think back to, to them and, 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 and honor them. Uh, you know, one of my heroes that went home to be with the Lord uh, just a week ago Friday was Tim Keller. And there's a verse in the Bible that says, speaking the truth in love. That is, don't compromise the truth, but speak it in love. And if there's anybody that ever epitomized that, it was Tim Keller, and he was a prophet. He was basically a prophet to New York City, a prophet to Manhattan. He spoke the church truth boldly, but he always did it with love. Uh, Tim Keller's uh, one of his best friends was David Midwood. And Tim Keller mentored my best friend, John Hanford, and uh, Tim and David Midwood is who mentored me. And so when I was going to seminary, uh, Monday through Friday, I'd study in the classroom, and every weekend I'd go and live with him and his wife, Louise, and uh, and he would mentor me. As uh, Then through that connection, Tim Keller began to mentor uh, my best friend, the best man in our wedding, John Hanford. Here's David Midwood performing our wedding. And then you'll see in the next picture here, this is John Hanford, who was our uh, best man at our wedding eventually went on to be uh, one of the first ambassadors of religious freedom. He pushed through a bill in Congress that tied uh, American foreign aid to how they uh, gave religious freedom to the countries uh, that was tied to our aid as a country. He pushed that bill through Congress and then was named um, the second ambassador of religious freedom and served in that capacity uh, for a number of years. Um, You know, uh, Tim Keller, the thing that highlighted his ministry was his winsomeness. He spoke the truth, but he did it in love. And then along with that, the the fact that he always made evangelism. He was a, a genius, maybe the smartest pastor in America. If anybody could have just gotten into head trips, it would have been Tim Keller. It would have been Tim Keller. If anybody could have just like thought deep thoughts and shared deep thoughts and, and just had that be all that he did. It would have been Tim Keller, but he always made it a priority in order to um, reach that one and not just uh, think deep thoughts with the 99, but to do everything possible uh, to reach that one. Whether it was my hometown in Hopewell, Virginia, where he was first pastoring a church plant for my home church, or whether it was in Manhattan, where he had such an impact with the intellectual yuppies of New York City and just was so used by God to reach them. He kept outreach and evangelism as the main thing. Uh, You know, I thought you'd get a kick out of this just to read an excerpt from his book, uh, the biography that came out right about just a couple months before his death. And it talks about my hometown, Hopewell, Virginia. I actually lived in the country of Prince George County, but our church was in Hopewell. At a certain point on Route 10, as you drive south into Hopewell, Virginia, you can look out over the whole city. At its peak in the 1970s, and when the Kellers moved to town in 1975, after Tim accepted his first call as a pastor, Hopewell boasted a population of just over 23,000. One day, Kathy, his wife, crested this road with one of their church's oldest members and saw a panorama of smokestacks belching yellow and purple emissions. The woman said to Kathy, don't it just make you so proud? These chemical plants put food on the table for families across the city. Kathy wasn't so sure she should be proud. We're all going to die here, she thought. At some point during the 1970s, The signs that had long boasted of Hopewell as the chemical capital of the South were removed. More than a decade later, in 1988, chemical factories run by the likes of Allied Signal and Firestone discharged 59.8 million pounds of hazardous waste into outlets such as the James River, which surrounded the city's northeast corner. I used to swim in that river, and you're thinking that explains a lot, Glenn. The same year the Kellers moved to Hopewell, the governor of Virginia prohibited all fishing on the James River from Richmond, 18 miles northwest of Hopewell, to the Chesapeake Bay, 80 miles downriver. The state feared the effects from the manufacture and release of an insecticide called Keepone, similar to DTT, that had been dumped into the river from 1966 until 1975. The scandal broke just as Tim and Kathy arrived in town. Our uh, high school used to play Hopewell. Uh, they were our arch rivals, Prince George High School, the country kids versus Hopewell, the kids from the chemical plants. And so their cheerleaders used to mock us and have a cheer that went, uh, go back, go back, go back to milking cows, Prince George. Go back, go back, go back to milking cows. And our cheerleaders would respond, you smell, I smell, we all smell Hopewell. But whether it Hopewell or Manhattan, he kept outreach and evangelism as the main thing. Which leads us to our final point, which is we are called to be watchmen. Now, called to be shepherds, that's a gentle, loving uh, way to uh, think about outreach. But the watchman, this is heavy stuff, uh, so be prepared. A watchman in Old Testament times stood on the wall of the city as a sentry watching for any threat to the city from without or within. If he saw an invading army on the horizon or dangers within the city like fire or riots, the watchman would immediately sound the alarm to warn the people. This passage we're going to finish with was the text for my first sermon 51 years ago at the age of 15. You're not going to believe it. This is my first passage I preached from the age of 15, 51 years ago. Now, Ezekiel 3 doesn't mean that we lose our salvation if we don't warn people about God's judgment, but it does mean that God considers it our responsibility to warn people out of love for them. It's not a salvation issue, but it is an obedience issue. If you know that your friend is going to travel on a road where the bridge is out, love compels you to warn that friend about the danger. And if we know that following Christ is the difference between heaven and hell, love compels us to warn our friends about that danger. Not to be jerks about it, uh, but to speak the truth in love. Uh, People criticize Christians for preaching the gospel. They think somehow we have this need to tell other people what to do. Nothing could be further from the truth. Life would be far easier if we did not have to be shepherds, if we did not have to be watchmen, but love compels us to do so. As Jeremiah said last week, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. Or like Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. It is Jesus that said, it, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We didn't say that. Christ said it. And so we are compelled to share that message. Ezekiel 3 verse 16, at the end of seven days the word of the Lord came to me, son of man I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel, so hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to a wicked person you will surely die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you will have saved yourself. Uh, Again, when a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sin. The righteous things that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the righteous person not to sin, and they do not sin, they will surely live because they took warning and you will have saved uh, your, yourself. Purpose Church, let's be watchmen on the walls uh, of the people around us. Let, let's be watchmen, warning them when we need to out of love But also, let's be loving and good shepherds, caring for the people around us with kindness and gentleness. Paul told us to speak the truth in love. Let's speak the truth like watchmen, but let's do it with love like shepherds. And all God's family, wherever you are, would you say out loud with me together, amen? And amen.